Well, welcome tonight. We're glad that you have uh, chosen to join us and to be with us. Um, glad that you're here tonight. I'm going to share with you a little bit from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. The subject tonight will be, or the title of the message tonight will be, Prayers That Preach. Let's read together 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 6. Paul writes to his understudy Timothy these words, First of all, I then urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at that proper time. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you that you have given it to us. It's a part of your love letter to us. It's a part of your instruction to your people. And certainly it's a part of your instruction to the church. Help us now as we study it and learn of it. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. You know, tonight, I think all of you know that our country's in a little bit of a very precarious position or time. Uh, I think you know that. We've been through almost a year now of pandemic. Uh, we've had economy shut down. We've had stores shut down, churches shut down, schools shut down, people out of work, people sick and dying because of this. It's been a very difficult time, so it probably doesn't help to have uh, in the foreground of that now political battle that's been going on far longer than the pandemic did uh, on the front page of our papers every day. I don't read the paper. Don't know why I said that, but you understand what I'm saying. It's in the news. Um, it's a moment in time for our nation when we're supposed to be going through a peaceful transition of power, and we're discussing insurrections, impeachments, and I suspect in some ways insanity. That's my editorial note for tonight, whether you agree with it or not. Personally, I'm ready for it all to stop. And I do pray that it does. But we don't know if it will. This morning, I noticed in my news feed that an Alliance City School staff member had their home vandalized. I don't know if you saw this or not. Their home was spray-painted with a racial epithet. Uh, my heart that didn't have room to sink lower, sunk lower. I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. You know, this weekend's Martin Luther King weekend, and that happens. It disheartens me for that person, whoever he or she is. I'm certainly, uh, it has placed them in a state of fear. If they have a family, uh, it's just multiplied by that many people over and over again. The community, uh, it just places so much more conflict at a much closer-to-home place that I suppose no one needs right now. I suspect it may have disheartened you as well. So you might just ask the question, in times like these, what can we do? Well, I'm going to take you back a verse at a time to what Paul said to Timothy. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. First of all, Paul's not saying to us in that phrase, there's a numerical order to this. 
Rather, he's saying uh, this is what's most important. First of all, what's most important? Uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people. You know, in the New Testament, there were seven words that were used for prayer. Four of them are found in this first verse of 2 Timothy. The first word is supplications. That word means a very deep need. A prayer, I suspect, always finds its beginnings or its starting point in some need that we have. Supplications are a deep need. But this goes further. Because the second word that Paul gives us is prayers. Now that word occurs 37 times in the New Testament. It's both public and private prayer or communication to God. The third word, which is my favorite, that Paul uses here is the word intercessions. That word uh, in the original Greek language only occurs in this book. And it's one of my favorite words. And I'll tell you why. It's a more general kind of a prayer. It's more relaxed. Instead of a formal rote petition to God, it's more like a conversational communication. It's like sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee or tea. It's a word that that tells us that we can come to God with an assurance, with a certainty that he is that one who we can talk to. And I love that. The final word that Paul gives us is the word thanksgiving. Uh, It's just simply that, the giving of thanks. We can thank God for what he has done in our past. That helps to build our faith in our future. Uh, Someone has said that this is the only type of prayer that will continue into eternity. And that will be because we will see just exactly what our home in heaven cost God's son Jesus. We'll be thankful so much more. But the second thing Paul says is... That we are to uh, give these supplications, prayers, thanksgivings, and intercessions for all people. But in that second verse, Paul says, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for everyone, but we're also especially, Paul says, to pray for those who are kings and in high positions. Now, I want to get across to you that, that this term king would have been used for the emperor in Rome at the time that wrote at the time that Paul wrote this that would have been Nero Nero was a monster he was cruel he was unrelenting particularly towards christians and get this this was actually the emperor that would have eventually put Paul and Peter to death let that sink in for a minute pray for your leaders Pray for those that you may think are not reasonable at all and, and, and that you, you may not like. Pray for those certainly that are reasonable and that you do like, but understand who Paul is writing this letter to. He's writing it to Timothy, his understudy, who knew the persecution that Nero was exacting upon the church and upon Christians. And, and as, as I told you already, eventually he would be the one who would have Paul put to death. And Paul says simply, pray for kings and all that are in high positions so we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You see, Paul's reasoning is simple and it's logical. It'll give you a peaceable and quiet life. 
You know, we worship in this country and in this city in which you and I worship. We worship because of those who at some point in time upheld and gave us our country's freedoms and liberties to do so. And the government, those who are in authority now, they continue uh, to offer that uh, to us. They, they are the pivot point between us having those things and losing those things, irregardless of our political uh, desires or affiliations. We are given those freedoms by men and women who died for them, who, who won them for us, and those who protect them today. So in a way, Paul's talking to us and he's saying, you pray for your government too. Because it will give you a peaceful and quiet and godly life and dignified in every way. And in the third verse, he tells us this is good. And it pleases God. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Now, I want to have you look for a minute at the fifth verse. It says, For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. You don't get this. Um... This verse declares plainly uh, monotheism. That is to say, there is one God. Now, the Roman society that Paul is writing this in, they were polytheistic. They had many gods all over the place. And in this letter, Paul says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Monotheism, that one God belief, it's the basis of both Judaism and and Christianity's belief system. And look at the word Paul uses. There's a mediator between us and God, and his name is Jesus. You know, you've probably never considered this, and I don't know why I'm bringing it to you now, but it's, it's, it's interesting, this notion of a mediator. When Job, in the Old Testament, was going through his trials, listen to what he said in Job 9.33. He said, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. There's no arbiter between us and God uh, who, could, who could bridge the gap, who could communicate uh, between us. Well, Paul's answering that message of Job, and he may be answering that message for you tonight. There is an arbiter between us and God, and it's Jesus. He is the one. He's the mediator between us and God. And the basic meaning of a mediator is one who intervenes between two parties in order to make or restore peace and friendship or to form a compact or to ratify a covenant. Think about that. Jesus, we have one God, and Jesus is our mediator between us and him. In this sense, Jesus is a bridge builder. And notice what Paul says in the sixth verse, that he gave himself as a ransom for us. And that's the testimony given at the proper time. And in the seventh verse, Paul adds this point in, for I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I want to focus on that word preacher. Paul was a preacher. He was a herald. A herald was someone that was a chosen voice to take the message of the king to the people. Paul says, I was a preacher to the king of all kings. I'm a herald of the message that the king of all kings has for us. And it's the good news. Now let's stop for a minute and understand what we've discussed so far. Because it's important. A man who had been jailed twice by the emperor Nero and eventually would be killed by him. 
told his understudy Timothy that as one called to be a, a herald of the truth, a preacher of the gospel, to proclaim the saving, atoning, mediating work of Jesus Christ, that he should pray for everyone, including the leader that one day may have his very head. You see, Paul had a deeper commitment to the message of the gospel than he had to any earthly leader. There's one God who you and I have been estranged from because of sin. But that one God chose to reconcile us to him through his mediator. And that's the mediating work of Jesus Christ, his son. And he did that because he loves us so much. And in other words, you can be saved. And you got to pray for those others that could be saved. You see, Paul didn't see his purpose to overthrow or to... Uh, become a lobbyist to overthrow the role of Nero against Jews or Christians. Paul saw his main purpose to proclaim, to preach, to herald the good news that Jesus saves. So what did he tell Timothy? He said, Timothy, you pray for everyone. Especially you pray for those leaders, for the government, anyone. So that good news message that we have to offer can continue to be proclaimed. And that brings me, church, to my bottom line tonight. Your prayers may be the best sermon ever preached. You know, our, our prayers are, are private when they're personal, aren't they? They're between me and God, between you and God. Public prayers, if we pray them, others may hear. They may know. But all of our prayers have one purpose. So who do you pray for? You get a prayer request from a friend or the church prayer chain calls you. Someone else, you find something that you need to pray for. But what about everything else? I mean, no request, no requirement. What does God want us to pray for? Without the prayer chain, without the friend that calls us up, what does God want Christians to pray for? Well, here in this passage, Paul said everyone. And then he said rulers and kings, good or bad rulers or kings. You know, we in the, the Western world, and particularly here in the United States, we've never known war or major civil disturbance in our own country until last week. Of course, there's the Civil War, and we've had some, some moments in time. But you understand what I'm saying. There were, there were some things that were big, some things that were smaller, um, that's really not my point. My point is this. We have lived relatively free, secure lives. And our, our government, frankly, allows us to continue to do that, doesn't it? We meet on Sundays. We travel where we want to from state to state. We're pretty secure. We'd like our taxes lowered. We'd like frivolous spending to stop. But overall, we just get on with it because we're free to do so. So what do you need to pray for? <laughs> Maybe what you take for granted? You know, when, when God's people in the Old Testament were in exile in, exile in Babylon, they were waiting. I mean, just sitting waiting for the government to be overthrown by someone else so they could go home again. And Jeremiah spoke under the influence of the Lord in Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. I want you to hear what he said. And remember... 
the people were in exile. They were subjugated to a foreign country, taking them over and taking them away. They were in exile in Babylon. And here's this prophet of God speaking. And I want you to hear what he says. Jeremiah 29 in verse 7. He said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Did you get that? Jeremiah 29, 7. They're in exile. They've been taken over. God has allowed them to be placed in exile. Uh, and, and God speaks through Jeremiah and he tells them, pray for those that overtook you. Because if they have welfare, you have welfare. If Babylon's at peace, you'll be at peace. Now, I can hear some of you, and you're trying to process what I'm saying right now. You may be upset with me. Stay with me a minute longer. Don't click off just this soon. You know, the Romans were oppressing their subjects at the time that Paul wrote this uh, letter to Timothy. They were, uh, they were subjecting, uh, or oppressing rather, their subjects uh, to pray to the emperor. Now, the key word there is to the emperor. They were requiring people to invoke him as their Lord and Savior, and many people did. But it didn't work that way for the Jews or for the very beginning Christians. Because remember what Paul said back there in that fifth verse, there's one God. They believed in only one God, not many. And so Nero was not going to fit into their plan. They believed in one God, and they were allowed to pray, get this, to their own God, to Jehovah God on behalf of the emperor. Did you get that? That's the background to what Paul's writing here today. The early Christian attitude about praying for those in authority. They may have held their noses while they did it, but understand what Paul's saying. Pray for those in authority. The very pagan rulers that they were praying for, not to, helped to establish the right situation in God's divine plan for Christianity to grow, for Christians to live and to worship. And when the church is growing, the message is proclaimed. And when the message is proclaimed, the gospel thrives. And when the gospel thrives, people get saved. So pray. Pray for your leaders, not to them. Seek the stability and the peace that allows for the kingdom of God to thrive. Pray for them. And pray that the God of the Bible, whose ways are not our ways, continues to do far more than we could ever ask or think in ways that we could never imagine in order that the message, the good news of the gospel, gets out and gets shared. God bless you, church. Thanks for joining us tonight.